Welcome. It is a joy to join with you in worship today. My name is Reverend Dawn Douglas Flowers and I serve at Parkway Hills United Methodist Church in Madison, Mississippi. Over these next summer months, we will be looking at some family favorite movies and thinking about what they tell us about our story of faith and the story of our God. We would love to know who is worshiping alongside us. Feel free to reach out to us, send us an email, ask us any questions you may have, or simply let us know how we may be church for you. And if you're in the Madison area, we would love for you to join us on our campus any Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I look forward to spending the summer at the movies with you. But now, let us prepare our hearts and our minds to worship God this day. Please join us in our opening responsive call to worship. Please stand. Grant us this day, O oh God, not to be overtaken by anxious thoughts that can make us feel that you are not near. Grant us to sit at your feet, enjoy your every word, every musical note, and we may feel your prayer presence and turn our communities, our jobs, and our schools. Prepare us as we journey as your people to worship and to obey. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the and the firstborn. Our opening hymn of praise is Great is Thy Faithfulness, found in your hymnal next to you, number 140. Let us sing.
Please join me together in our affirmation of faith found in your bulletin. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified, our judge and our hope, in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the children to come forward for children's moments. Oh, and if you have peanut butter, bring it up with you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the peanut butter. Who is excited that it is almost summertime? Me, I am. Oh, you no. Know, you want to stay in school? Emma, you are. That's, that's incredible. That's great. Will you try to enjoy summer anyway, though? If you have to be off for summer? Okay. So when you think about a summertime vacation, what do you think about? Where do you think about going to, Adelaide? To the beach, that was the right answer. That was the one I was looking for. Not the right answer, but that was the one I needed for this. So I have some sand. You find sand at the beach, right? Do you like getting all sandy? Yes. Yes, sometimes. Okay. It gets everywhere, right? It gets all up in your hair, up in your swimsuit, in your bags, in your toys. It gets everywhere because there's so much of it, right? Okay. So. What I want y'all to do is I need your help. I got a bowl, I'm gonna unscrew this top, and I'm gonna slowly pour the sand into the bowl. Now what I need y'all to do is as I pour it, I need you to count the grains of sand as they're going into the bowl. Y'all can count, right? One, two, three. You don't think you can count all of them? Because they're so, well, let's try. Okay. So here goes the sand. I'm going to try to pour it slow. Look. Oh. <laughs> She's counting by hundreds. Y'all can't hear her. <laughs> Any idea? 1,600. Who just said I probably don't even know? Was that you, Adelaide? You're right. I don't know. There may be 1,600. I don't know. There may be 4,000 in there. Clara says there are five. It's like one of those guess how many, or ten, ten in there. It's kind of like one of those guess how many things are in the jar and you win it. Well, nobody's going to guess how many are in here, right? Because there are too many. A grain of sand is so tight. I can't, I don't have my glasses on, obviously. I can feel the grain of sand, but I can't even really see it on my finger. But I can feel it there. So think about how many grains of sand are just right here. Now think about when you go to the beach, 
How many grains of sand are on that whole beach? I don't know. I don't know either. Think about it. Have you seen a picture of a desert somewhere and there's just sand everywhere as far as you can see? There's no water in the desert, but there's lots of sand everywhere. It is really hot, and you can't count the sand. It's overwhelming to think about. That has something to do with what I'm fixing to read from the Bible. This is from Psalm 139, which is in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read a few lines from it, not the whole thing. But it says, Lord, you have seen what is in my heart. You know all about me. You are all around me. You are behind me and in front of me. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. God, your thoughts about me are priceless. No one can possibly add them all up. If I could count them, they would be more than all the grains of sand. God loves us so much and thinks about us so much. His thoughts about us are more than all the grains of sand. He's always there in front of us, behind us. He created us. He knows us. And he loves us. So if you go to the beach this summer, somewhere there is some sand, think about that when you're playing in the sand, that God loves you and thinks about you more than all the grains of sand. That's a lot. We couldn't even count them, right? All right, will y'all bow your heads and pray with me? Let's fold our hands. Dear God, thank you for sand and thank you for beaches. Help us to always remember that you love us and think about us more than all the sand. Amen. All right, now if you are three years old through kindergarten, we are going to go upstairs with Miss Molly and Mr. Matthew, Claire and Adelaide's parents, for extended session. I'm Zachary. I'm Davis. I'm Christopher. We want to, we want to give an update today, and we are ex excited to share that we are halfway to our goal for the You Sweet Kitchen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who has given so far. Gifts have been in honor of Smith and Greer McIntosh and in memory of Taylor Yates, John Green, and Henry Weisenborn. Thanks to our matching donors, every gift has been doubled. If you haven't had a chance to give yet, remember your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. Zachary, Christopher, and I finished confirmation and moved into the youth group this past January. We haven't been in youth long, but we have already had many experiences. I am given to support the youth group kitchen because I like gathering together with the youth group and making a kitchen would make gathering even more, um, make gathering better. Uh, I am giving to support the youth kitchen because par being part of the youth is like having a second family. 
Youth is much more of a family than the other Sunday school classes, no offense. The youth, the youth support each other. We also meet more often, so it feels more like family in the youth group. We also have a lot more events than Sunday school, so it feels more fun. And you are in the youth group much longer than you are in any of the other children's Sunday school classes. The kitchen would be fun and also more of a bonding experience for youth. Also, a lot of us get hungry very often, so it would help with that also. That is why I'm giving to support the youth kitchen. I'm giving to support the youth kitchen because being a part of the youth group for me means to meet a new group of people and getting to know them and their goals. It also gives me to talk about what we have been doing outside of youth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to sing for you, Be Still My Soul. You can follow along the message, you can hum along, you can sing along, but focus on the message.
Our New Testament text comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. Hear these words. He is the image of the invincible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly blood through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. Amen. have a quick question. Where are my um, 80s babies or my 90s teens and tweens who watched way too much TBS? Or anyone who has seen season three of Stranger Things? Any of my 80s babies out there? Okay, so if you were actually here as we were gathering in fellowship, do you, did you recognize the music that was playing as we gathered for worship? A hint would be, yes, those 80s babies in that season three of Stranger Things. Anyone? Well, it was the theme song to the never-ending story. Um, the lyrics make no sense whatsoever, but if you caught on to the music, um, that was the theme song for the never-ending story. For my not-80s babies, or those who have seen season three of Stranger Things, never-ending story is a 1984 film based on the 1979 novel um, of the same name. It is the story of Bastion, a 10-year-old boy that is just kind of struggling with life. His mother has passed away. He's not doing well in school. He's being bullied. And one day, while he's being chased by three bullies, he runs into a bookstore to kind of get away and hide. And the owner of the bookstore gives him this book called The Never-Ending Story. But he does warn him about entering the pages of this book. Well, Bastion borrows the book, leaving a note that he will return it, and he begins reading. He's drawn into this story of the mythical land of Fantasia, which is in desperate need of a hero to save it from the nothing that is bringing doom and destruction. And as Bastion continues to read, he's drawn more and more into this story, and he begins to realize that he himself is part 
of the story. This summer, if you received your summer at the movies flyer, we're going to be using movies um, to help us think about our story of faith. And as we sat in staff meeting last week, um, I was trying to think of how can we kick this off this week um, and begin entering the wisdom of Pixar next week. And Rebecca reminded me of the never-ending story. And I thought, huh, that's pretty perfect. The story of a young boy struggling in life, entering a story of doom and destruction, finding out that he's part of a story all along. And this story, never-ending story, while Rebecca was playing on that word, you know, our story of our God never ends, what I thought about was that doom and destruction. Um, Did you know that there is a book in the Bible that is also a story about doom and destruction. In fact, it has been called the Book of Doom. The prophetic book of Amos gives us the voice of the prophet Amos, a prophet from Judah writing from 760 and 750 BCE. Amos speaks to a Jewish community um, that has grown increasingly more and more divided between the rich and the poor. The rich feast, while among them many struggle just to survive. So Amos looks around at this Jewish community and says, this is not the vision of community God has for God's people. You've forgotten, he says, what it means to live and to love a different way, to present the world with a different vision, to be God's people. Now, Amos is one of the earliest prophetic books, and Amos has gone through periods throughout history where it was either completely ignored or given little attention, and for good reason. If you've ever read through this one, there's few images of hope and comfort, but there are all sorts of these places full of power and passion. So this morning, we will enter um, the story of Amos. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So reading from Amos, chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the epoch small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances. 
buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord, Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of, it, end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. Then they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you can probably imagine, Amos's job was not an easy one. The life of a prophet is full of fear, sadness, loneliness, after all, who wants to be the one to announce this? The Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people. I will never again pass them by. We know what generally happens to those who start to shine a light in the dark corners of practices taking place right in front of us, as Amos does by saying this, Hear this, ye that trample the needy and bring ruin to the poor, saying, We will make the epop small and the shekel great, and practice deceit with false balances. And you don't tend to make friends by saying, The Lord has sworn, surely I will never forget their deeds. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn their feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. The time is surely coming, says the Lord. Amos, this book of doom, well, it moves from calling for repentance to just simply proclaiming time's up. The end has come. There's a theologian, Donald Gowan, who defines the end by saying, nothing more beyond this. It's an absolute. The nothing comes. And Amos has a reason for proclaiming such a message. He looks around and he finds himself in the midst of rampant social injustice, in the midst of those with money cheating as a way to make more money at the expense of those who suffer the most. All the while, going through the motions, taking part in their life of faith, and proclaiming that they are a people of faith. It's easy um, for me to think of how we like to, pl to plaster in God we trust in schoolrooms and on our money and on our walls while people around us still lack access to affordable health care. So Amos looks around and he feels called to preach a message of awareness, a message of reality, a message of accountability, 
then when the message is not heard, Amos says, time's up. The time is surely coming, says the Lord. Okay, right now some of you may be thinking, well, this is a fun and happy way to kick off the summer. Why on earth are we focusing on the book of doom? Partly because I did think of the never-ending story and that story about doom coming. It's not because, first of all, that I think the end times are upon us. But I will name this. I do think we find ourselves in a place of history that will fill history books. And I think we have sufficiently named all of those things over this past year and a half. Anxiety, uncertainty, polarization, injustice. Hold those things alongside this weekend. Space rightly given to remember the loss of life that comes when humanity can't figure out how to live together as one. When individuals must answer the call to rise up to defend. I mean, it's a weekend that is full of pool parties and vacations and hamburgers, but it's also a weekend that reminds us some more than others that there is a lot of hard, hurtful stuff in our world that we simply wish wasn't there. Within our story of faith, we have this book labeled the Book of Doom simply for proclaiming reality, for calling for awareness and accountability, and for saying that time is up, the end has come. We don't often share it or focus too hard on it because, yes, it's overwhelming, it's scary, it too easily reminds us of the street preachers carrying the signs, repent or perish. There was one at a gas station this week that I passed which made me think of it. Amos is a book we could easily turn to, open its pages and say, huh, maybe this is about us now in this time maybe the street preachers right repent or perish but let me tell you what i find interesting about this book of doom a book that moves from calling for repentance to saying that time is up that moves from repent or perish to just saying perish Even this book of doom, this book of doom has hope. Two verses buried deep within all the other words of destruction. The first, chapter 5, verse 15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And 9, 8, The eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, 
says the Lord. Two verses buried deep within this book of doom that point to an attribute of God that is the cornerstone of our faith. These verses remind us that although we hear, although we see, Amos prophetically proclaiming the end, an absolute, nothing more beyond this, we are reminded that Scripture speaks of a God who alone transcends and redefines absolutes. Although Amos, the book of doom, has barely any hope, we still find hope. Do you know why the never-ending story is called the never-ending story? Well, supposedly, it is because it is a story within a story. So you have this little boy, Bastion, who begins reading this book, gets drawn more and more into the story, and then at some point, the stories overlap, and he's actually part of one story, and that story's part of his story, and eventually there's a plot twist where the stories just become intertwined. Amos, the Book of Doom, a story with barely any hope, is a story within a story. The overarching story of Scripture, with all of its complicated, messy, hard stories, with its prophetic voices such as Amos, well, it's ultimately a story of God engaging with the world to redeem and renew, of never giving up of saying, I will do whatever it takes to make whole that which has been broken. And as we approach the pages of the New Testament, well, the plot twist comes. We find Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. By making peace through the blood of his cross. The cross. Making peace through the cross. This past Monday, Thursday, we had this worship center open and there were interactive stations you could move through as a way to, in part, kind of enter the story of Holy Week. And the final station, which was back in that left corner, well, it was a reflection on the cross. And it lifted a truth for many that the cross is hard for a lot of people. We believe Jesus died for our sins, to cover our sins, to make whole all that has been broken, but there's still this little twinge of a why that lingers. The violence of the cross doesn't make sense. Thinking through atonement is hard, but this image, the cross, we have it everywhere. We have it hanging on our walls, it's on jewelry, it's on t-shirts, it's in our worship spaces. But think about this. As Christ found himself hanging upon the cross, the cross solely signified death. It meant death. And not just death, but a long, drawn-out, painful, torturous death. The cross 
was doom, the end, an absolute nothing more beyond this. Death was and is the reality the cross proclaims. But this image of doom, this image of the end and absolute, it has been redefined. Death is not the end. The end itself has been redefined. Hope has been shouted in the mystery of the resurrection. In the never-ending story, the destruction that will take out the land is called the nothing. Nothing kind of signifies darkness, an empty void, an end. Nothing more beyond this, an absolute But let me tell you a story about one of these crosses. It's this one right here. Um, There is a little sticker on the back that says, Made from Steeple Remnants, Main Street United Methodist Church, Bay St. Louis. And that steeple that it's made from was up there from 1895 to 2005. We all remember what happened in 2005? Yes? So this is a Katrina cross. Um, I wish I had gone back and looked up how long it took to get the new steeple up, but the old steeple just kind of lay in the road, and some store owners stopped some people who came with a chainsaw to get it out of the road. They stopped them and said, no, you can't destroy this. So this cross does have a story within a story, Um, one of doom, death, destruction, but it also carries the story of resilience of new life, of hope in the midst of death and destruction. All of these crosses remind us that Scripture speaks of a God who alone transcends and redefines absolutes. Memorial Day weekend, while hard for a lot of families because it does signify loss and sacrifice, the hope is that it is also a weekend that reminds us that that loss had a purpose, that there's hope and new life in the midst of it. Amos, and maybe even the cross, well, they remind us of um, the worst parts of ourselves. And then Colossians, well, it reminds us that Jesus came to say, Bring me those worst parts. All of them. I'll take them. All of you. There is more to this story than those worst parts. We have a never-ending story of faith that is, in theory, about this back-and-forth struggle of the ups and downs, of the good and the bad. But most importantly is a never-ending story of forgiveness mercy, of sacrificial, redemptive love that brings healing. The story of what our God has done in cross and resurrection is this. As Frederick Buechner says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Our story of faith says that the book of doom, well, it can become the book of hope. 
there's a German Reformed theologian, Hergen Moltmann, and he was asked one time in an interview, what's the importance of that and in cross and resurrection? And he said, well, cross is the end of the old world, and the resurrection is the beginning of the new world. You've got this release of the spirit of hope and love. He says, it's a reminder that at the end of it all, all is well because God speaks, behold, I make all things new. And he said, this is inspiring to me. Even today, the interviewer asks him, and Moltman says, yep, even at the age of 90. Now, Moltman has many books, but one is entitled The Theology of Hope. And I don't know about you, but I like that a lot better than the book of doom. In Colossians, one of my favorite parts, um, one of my favorite verses, and what we heard read earlier, was this line. Um, In Jesus, all things hold together. I think a great way to help us hold, um, as Amos prophetically proclaims, reality in our world, the awareness of, our, of what's going on. Um, but to remember, in Jesus, all things hold together. I thought today might be a fitting day to kind of go to God in prayer as we close, lifting up um, realities that we are all too aware of, um, confessing things that uh, we may hold ourselves, but also holding that hope and knowing that in Jesus all things hold together. There is a response for this prayer. When you hear God save us, heal us, you are invited to respond and make us whole. When you hear God save us, heal us, you may respond and make us whole. But now, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Creator God, as we look at the world you have made, we notice that the songs of love that you wanted us to sing have turned into cries of abuse, oppression, and prejudice. We have abused the planet that you have provided for us to inhabit and to share with other creatures. We have wasted the water abused other resources, limited access to food, and marked borders of inhospitality. We pray for this world in need of restoration and ask that you provide us with the tools and the intelligence needed to rebuild the world you created for us. God, save us, heal us, and make us whole. There is oppression in the world that we live in. We see it in the ways human beings treat one another, taking advantage of those considered to be of less value. We turn our eyes away when we see the needy being trampled or the poor being stashed out of sight. May your will be the last word, and may the church be an effective witness to the sovereign Lord in our midst. God, save us, heal us, and make us whole. We see prejudice in our relationships, Lord. We judge one another 
not with justice and fairness, but with fear and misinformation. It's easier to demonize and to take the time to listen and to establish relationships. It's easier to assume than to ask questions and to acquire knowledge. Make us agents of peace and restore our songs of love for you and for one another. God, save us, heal us, and make us whole. God of mercy and love, this weekend we remember all those who have lost loved ones. We remember all those who died too young defending this place, our home. We remember any and all who suffer from sickness, loneliness, fear, anxiety, or injustice. You are a God that enters the brokenness to redeem and renew. May you be with all those in need of your healing. And now in the silence, we lift up either silently or loud, all those that we hold heavy on our hearts and minds this day. Angie Williams. God, save us, heal us, and make us whole. May we indeed listen to the prophetic voices among us, calling us to be better, to do better, to live as your people, and to lean into the love and mercy of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is Come, Let Us Dream. Um, You'll find it in your bulletin, and I invite you to stand as we sing together, Come, Let Us Dream.
But um, Christine, come up real quick. She's got an announcement. <laughs> yes, yes, a happy one, a happy one. Um, I'm here today on behalf of the SBRC. As previously announced, Rebecca Olaf will be retiring at the end of June, and I'm so very happy and excited to announce that our own Linda Irby will be taking her spot. Uh, Linda and Rebecca will start training together in June to ensure a very smooth transition, and I hope everybody joins in wel welcoming her to our staff. Thanks for singing. Thanks, Linda. So make sure you um, congratulate her and uh, get used to seeing a new face in the office and hearing a new voice on the phone. Um, but now receive this benediction. It's two-part. Some other wise words from Frederick Buechner that I've shared before, but I just love them. Um, Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And may we all be filled with the grace and peace of the God who is and who was and who is to come, and with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, God's faithful witness, who loves us and sets us free. May it be so. Amen.